converting to the Catholic Church, being a married priest, and is there really a difference between Harvard and Yale? Today on Spirit Inspire, we interview Father Jonathan Erdman, starting right now. Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit Inspire. And now, here is your host. Hello, welcome to Spirit Inspire. I'm Isaac Fox, and I'm going to be your host for today's episode. I'm also joined today with two of my usual co-hosts, Brian Kane, Heidi Ho, and John Soule. Voila! <laughs> Our uh, <laughs> third co-host, Eric Huff, was not able to be with us today, some scheduling issues. So he's missing today's episode, but he will be back for our next episode. At least that's what he told me. But Eric, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, since we'll you see. missed today's episode, you're fired. <laughs> um, yeah. Just kidding. We've been blessed with a very busy schedule this week. We have some wonderful guests we're looking forward to having on the show. And speaking of special guests, we have a great special guest with us today. Father Jonathan Erdman is a former Episcopal priest, a convert, now a Catholic priest, at Our Lady and St. John Catholic Church of the Personal Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter, which is the longest title I've come across in recent memory, yes. and also a priest for St. Francis of Assisi Catholic Church here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Father Jonathan, welcome. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to be with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I know that as we go through today's episode, we've got some questions and topics we want to take a a little bit of a deep dive into, but maybe for context, before we get into those, for the sake mm -hmm. of our audience, could you give us kind of like the Cliff Notes autobiography of Father Jonathan's life? Sure. Um, I was born in a small town, Pennsylvania. Um, by the way, should I be looking at him or there? <laughs> Wherever you want. All right. To the audience. If you want to talk to the audience. Occasionally. Right, we're here. Members. We're all together. I'm new, I'm, That's I'm, your close-up. I'm new to this. All right. So there's my close-up. All right. <laughs> born in small town, Pennsylvania. I'm the son of an Episcopal priest. I, my mother was a um, most of her life a school teacher, but also at certain times was a uh, religious ed director in the Episcopal Church, as well as a drug and alcohol counselor for teens. Um, I am one of three boys. Uh, we joked that my poor mother even had to put up with even the dogs were male, so she was the only <laughs> woman in the house. Um, but um, Episcopal priests move a good bit more than Catholic priests, so I grew up in small town Pennsylvania uh, for a time, and then small town Missouri. Um, so Mount Joy, Pennsylvania, then Rolla, Missouri. Um, unlike most people, I didn't leave home for college. College left me. I stayed, oh, not college left me, my parents <laughs> left me, sorry. Um, so I stayed and they moved. Um, so my father went from Rolla, Missouri to be a priest in Joplin, Missouri. And I stayed uh, for my undergraduate degree in the middle of, uh, in the middle of Missouri. Um, I met my wife at University of Missouri Rolla where uh, she started as a chemical engineering major and became an English major on an engineering campus. I started as a psych major on an engineering campus. Um, so we were both part of embattled minorities. There were different, <laughs> there were different uh, buildings for every single one of the engineering disciplines. You had chemical engineering building, the mechanical oh engineering building, the electrical engineering building, and then you had one building for humanities social sciences. <laughs> it was um, so all crammed into one building on campus. Wow. Um, and so, uh, but as a result, we met on the literary magazine, uh, where the only schools I know of where a psych major could be the managing editor of the literary magazine and the editor-in-chief of the college paper. Um, and so we met, we worked together for a while. Um, she was a freshman, I was a junior. Um, and so we, uh, we began courting in her freshman year and we were married after my first year 
of Episcopal Seminary. And so um, we, uh, I ended up uh, going to uh, Nebraska for a, for, a, for a year with an Episcopal internship program in preparation for seminary. Um, in the Episcopal Church, seminary is only graduate school, and so I went to graduate school at Yale University uh, Divinity School for three years in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, again, got married after that first year, graduated seminary, was ordained an Episcopal priest at uh, 25, served suburban St. Louis for a year and a half, and then I served St. Thomas Fifth Avenue uh, for uh, four and a half years, where my first two children were born, um, Sarah Catherine and Joseph Daniel. Um, Joey was one month old when we moved to uh, Louisville. And so one of the ways that I know how long I've been in Louisville is just how old is Joey? And if, if <laughs> how Joe, old is Joey? Joey is 12. 12, okay. <laughs> um, and so my, right. my eldest child is 14. Um, and so just for, this will come up later, but the, uh, the numbers are 14, 12, 9, 9, and 4. And so, yes, okay. there are boy-girl twins in that mix. Um, and so then we moved uh, from New York City. Uh, and New York was a wonderful experience. Uh, we lived a block south of the park in church-owned housing. We never could have afforded it any other way. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with young adults, 20s and 30s, with the youth programs there. And uh, one of the wonderful things is, I mean, I was always in love with, with high liturgy, yeah. um, but really fell in love with church music. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, again, I always had a, a love of it, but whenever you end four of your seven work days, or six work days technically, I suppose, yeah. but clergy and that, that's ecumenical but you know, right. they're all work days <laughs> right. even four days of the week with uh choral even song in the english choir tradition that's beautiful with a professional choir of men and boys so the men are all professional singers the boys are uh choir school boys mm -hmm. so they're boarding school boys and it is not a choir with a school sorry it is not a school with a choir it is a choir with a school <laughs> wow. and so the church's liturgical life drove their academic schedule yeah and so during Holy Week, they didn't have many classes, but they had a lot of, a lot of liturgies they were at. So um, really fell in love with high church liturgy at that point. I mean, I was in love with it before, um, but really fell in love with it there. And um, I think also in some ways, my time at St. Thomas, due to the preaching of the other priests, the time that was there was almost in some ways more formative mm. than my time in seminary. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so then I uh, was called to work at an Episcopal church here in uh, in, in um, Louisville, um, and the Episcopal deployment system is a little different than the Catholic one. Um, in, in the Episcopal Church, I often joke, it's, it's almost like a dating service, where you fill out a profile, they fill out a profile, we see if we match, does this work? You know, I would always joke, you say things like, you know, I enjoy long liturgies by candlelight, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, long processions around the church, nicely dressed, I mean, you know, but it, it is a way where basically the parish and the priests get a chance to know each other and the bishop has to give approval. Um, and so I came to serve a church here in, um, in, in, um, in Louisville, uh, that was Calvary Church, for uh, five and a half years, I think. I was here five and a half years. And then after my time at Calvary, um, became Catholic. Okay. Um, and at Calvary, my twins were born, Sarah, uh, sorry, Gabriel and Naomi. Um, and then uh, we have one cradle Catholic who was born after we became <laughs> Catholic, and that's Joshua Paul. Awesome. Um, in that time period, and this is really, tri you, you asked for the sketch. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot, there's a lot of details we'll, here. We'll fill in the sketch <laughs> you know, as we go. All right. Yeah. We can yeah. color things in, you know, I, but, um, in that time period, um, after I left Calvary, um, through a lot of discernment and time, a lot of discernment, both as a community and, and, um, as my wife and I together, 
um, decided to become Catholic. Now, I mentioned the community. Our Lady in St. John Catholic Church was born in my living room. Okay. Um, and so um, basically a group that had been started uh, gathering together on Saturday nights um, for Episcopal Eucharist and potluck um, eventually ended up becoming... Um, I'd say about two-thirds of it ended up becoming Our Lady in St. John, gotcha. and one-third decided to become Continuing Anglican mm. or elsewhere. Right. Um, and so uh, I was the uh, facility, facility manager at the Flaget Center when I drove two days a week uh, there and back to St. Meinrad, so uh, my car got some really good miles. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, and again, there's so much that's being missed here. but. Yeah. The long and short of it was they looked over my transcript from my first round at seminary and decided, what does this man need to be a Catholic priest? And so I would be in classes with first years, third years, second years, fourth years, mm-hmm. all over the map. Right. Um, and, so, and one of the funnier semesters was I was in two classes at the same time. <laughs> they were exactly at the same moment. Uh, couldn't quite pull off a Padre Pio by location. Yeah. <laughs> and so St. Meinrad actually recorded it for me, and I would listen to it on the way home. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so did so, you go every other class and they'd record one class or just no, no, one I, class? No, I was I was at one class the whole time. Okay, and the other class, the other I would one. go when I could. Okay, yeah. there wasn't that. Um, <laughs> still did all the papers, all the tests, all the things necessary. Right, yeah, sure. um, wow. But I would listen on the way home. And so I was the facility manager at the Archdiocese Retreat Center during that time. Um, I kind of thought of it as my student job. Yeah. Uh, was ordained a deacon at St. Uh, Martin of Tours here in Louisville yep. by Bishop Lopes. Um, it was a real joy to be able to have that done locally. And then I was ordained a Catholic priest at uh, the Ordinariates Cathedral in Houston um, by Bishop Lopes as well, with several of my other brothers in the Ordinariate. And Bishop and, Lopes is the bishop of the Ordinariate the of the Chair of St. Peter. Yes. Which again, we don't do small we don't do small titles. <laughs> I mean, why we had to pick two patrons and the Ordinariate has the Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. Uh, you know, under the patronage fun. of Our Lady of Walsingham, right? Under the yeah, well, if you want to go, <laughs> we are under the patronage of Our Lady of Walsingham. That is true. Um, it gets a little long, yeah. right. um, but you know why make anything simple? Um, if it if it matters, just you know go for it. Exactly. That's the, right. the longer the longer the name, the more important, right? Exactly. No. Uh, anyway. uh, also, the more complicated the domain name, however. <laughs> the domain I, I, I've learned that. Um, and the know, hashtag and, and the <laughs> hashtags and everything else. Um, but served. Uh, so then I kind of did. Uh, Father Paul Beach at St. Martin's was wonderful, and I mean he was yeah. integral in bringing me into the church. Um, did a wonderful job in, in making sure I had enough work as a priest to, in addition to the retreat center, feed my family, yeah, as well as just awesome. simply the grace of God. Um, it, it is interesting to actually live your life by the, by the statement, worry not about what you lead or what you will wear, for it will be provided for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was in the day it was needed, it was provided. Yeah. And not a moment before, but we got used to that. Um, served at St. Martin's uh, in kind of a supply capacity for a while. Uh, and then I served at um, St. Margaret Mary uh, with Father Bill Hammer for four and a half years. Um, and just recently this June was uh, appointed uh, priest at uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Awesome. Um, and so Our Lady and St. John kind of set up shop at St. Martin's. Um, Father Beach and Father uh, Johnny Johnson were uh, wonderful in saying Mass for us every other Sunday. So two, um, two Sundays a month. Both of those men said Mass for us mm. in a totally different form of the Mass, in the Ordinariate's form, which is very similar to yeah. the Ordinary form and the Extraordinary form if you were to put, combine it in the middle, kind of, um, and Shakespeare wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> now, it, it's all according to the Second Vatican Council, so it's all a conciliar liturgy. Right. Um, but it, it looks a little older. 
and it sounds a little older. And I remember speaking and to so, Father Beach once and, mm -hmm. and him making the comment for a minute that he was probably one of the very few priests in the world that was in one and the same week doing Latin Mass, Novus Ordo, and Ordinary Liturgies, which yes. is remarkable. So. All, all, three of the, all three of the different uh, ways that the, uh, the Roman Rite is known. Yeah. So. Well, that's awesome. Father, thank you very much. Um, so as we get into some more specifics and kind of explore your story and what you do, sure. I'm going to turn things over to my co-host, Brian Kane to get us started. All right. Well, thank you again for being here, Father Erdman. And uh, of those four and a half years at Margaret Mary, I was there probably three and a half of those That's as true. youth minister. So we got to know each other really well and uh, always enjoyed our time together. And we got to geek out about a lot of different things. Yes. Uh, and I'm always glad you, to do so. Yes. You, <laughs> it's it's a, a significant aspect of your uh, personality is... is um, like uh, Star Wars, Star, Star Wars. are you Star Trek as well? I, I, you know, I, Star Trek, Star Wars, um, uh, you know. The, geek the, culture is what, what I was cool. leaning toward. But. You know, kind of pretty Lord much of the most of Lord of the Rings. Lord of the, look, I mean, there's not much science fiction <laughs> or fantasy I don't like. Uh, well, I can't take that. But there is some I don't like, actually, and some I really don't like. But none, nonetheless, a lot of Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, the battle, remake of Battlestar Galactica. I mean, you can just go on the list. It's <laughs> yes. all right. You know, there's a good number of things I do enjoy. So, uh, so uh, you know. Obviously, that's a, that's a, well, maybe it's not obvious. I think at this point, even though I've not really talked about it very much, it's probably obvious mm -hmm. that that's a big part of my personality right. as well. And um, so we always had great conversations about anything from uh, Star Wars and Darth Vader to uh, confession or mm -hmm. uh, liturgy or whatever. And it was. the two kind of go together nicely. And in in uh, I. This is one of my first shameless plugs, but uh, the Ordinary <laughs> Community um, does actually do something called God and Geek. Oh, that's right. Every yeah. second Tuesday, or every other Tuesday, I should say. Um, I think it's actually the f first and the third, but it could be the second and fourth. And one thing you all will recognize about me is... Um, I have the personality of an absent-minded professor, just absent the professor, so I'm just absent-minded. <laughs> um, but two Tuesdays a month, uh, we do something called God and Geek, where some of the sessions are, are much more heavy on the geek level of things, and some sessions are much more heavy on the God level of things. But we've done things like the creation myth and the Cimmerillion and how that relates to the Catholic theology, um, all the way to um, discussions of episodes of The Mandalorian, or uh, it just it, it's kind of gone all over the map. Um, original series Star Trek where you get that, that beautifully campy episode, you know, uh, and that wonderful acting by William Shatner in there. Yes, uh, you know, so. uh, that, that's yes. what he's known for is the acting. He is. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I actually do have a question as well, sure. right, which is fine. I wanted to, t if you wouldn't mind, take us back to childhood a little bit because you, I think you mentioned in your, uh, your uh short autobiography, uh, that your father was an Episcopal priest. Yes. I also know that your brother, uh, I think, remains an Episcopal priest. Nathan is an priest. Episcopal priest, my elder um, brother. So I wanted, wow. would you tell us a little bit about your childhood, but I also wanted it to be uh, sort of intentional because mm -hmm. I wondered what, what aspects of your childhood do you feel that your father did really well in terms of, you know, there's sort of the archetype of the, uh, of the preacher's mm -hmm. uh, child who right. sort of might go a different direction and, and rebel. Um, but so I, I don't know. I think it's special that two brothers become priests as well. And, sure. and I wondered, you know, based on your childhood and, and maybe what went well, 
How, how do you think about parenting? You've got five kids and you are a priest. And what might Catholic parents uh, be able to take away from that? Sure, sure. I mean, and, and my brother Joel also was a youth minister at one point. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we come from a family of Levites. Is that the three of you? The three of us. We, 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 I joke we come from a family. I come from a family of Levites. Um, <laughs> well, back to my childhood. Um, both my mother and father were deeply involved in our life of faith. Um, so it wasn't just something my dad did. Mm-hmm. Um, that wouldn't be a, a, a right way of thinking about it. It really was uh, involved in the whole family. Um, and, and it was just an interwoven part of our family life that faith was um, as much a part of our life as getting up for breakfast. It was something that was just part of, interwoven within family life, um, addressed when questions came up, um, that my mother, I want, some of the earlier memories I still have are of my mother uh, reading these these old golden, uh, the gold, like the, I think the arch books, I think of what they're called. Yes, oh, yeah. these, these, you know, these nice, these nice golden. My uh, little go- golden books. My little golden books with yeah. the arch on the yep. front, you know, our little arches and things, you know. Uh. Um, and they had like the, you know, the, uh, the gold binding, you know, mm-hmm. and so I remember Bible Classics. stories, Bible stories, uh, being read, uh, by mom all the time. And I remember, um, the careful way that my parents were always willing to answer questions mm-hmm. or to address things in such a way that was, was very faith-based. Um, and, and very much due to the fact that both my mother and my father, I know, saw everything they do. Um, and my mother passed away two years ago. Um, but that my, my father and my mother, I mean, saw everything as, as serving Christ. This is part of how they understood their life, their purpose, that their family was a part of that. And I think they really truly understood it as a vocation. And I think that's a central part of it is that married life is a vocation. That it's, it's, and that holiness leads to happiness. It's not there for its own purpose, but it's there for God's purposes. And, and they understood that. Um, yeah, I remember that, um, being raised in the church, um, being exposed to the beauty of the liturgy, being exposed to, um, you know, having parents that deeply understood the scriptures and, and, and knew Christ himself, uh, not just in theory, but it was a lived part of their life and they were willing to share it. Um, I, I think that a lot of parents sometimes are afraid to speak about faith because they're afraid they'll get an answer wrong. Hmm. You know, and one of the things I think that's interesting is that, you know, we don't, th- we, we're not that worried about getting answers wrong in almost any other aspect of life. Mm. You know, if my kid asks me how a volcano works, I'm not going to be terrified if I, if I'm a little bit wrong about what layer of the, of the earth this is under, you know, or, you know, whether it's magma or lava, depending on whether it's above the ground or under the ground, <laughs> right. you know, um, we don't get that anxious about geography. For some reason in theology, I think we do. And one of the things I think we can remember um, that my parents did very well, but I think also as Catholics, we can really know is that we have the answer somewhere. Mm-hmm. We've done this for 2000 years. We have amazing resources. We have amazing books. We have a, a chance, you know, there's nothing there. I think we live in a combative culture sometimes. And so we're sometimes taught, I think that if we can't give an answer, somehow there might not be one. Mm-hmm. Well, of course there's an answer. Yes. It's based on reality. It's yeah. not based on whether I know it. It's based on the truth. And so we don't need to be anxious if we don't have an answer. If we can't immediately answer something about you know a, a deep intricacy, the deep intricacies of the, um, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, it doesn't mean that it's not true. It means I don't know. Just in the same way that if I don't know the difference about how something works in a volcano, it doesn't mean that the volcano is <laughs> not gonna work. It does because that's what is. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that, that there was a, um, my parents 
believe very wholeheartedly that what they were teaching was the truth and that it was the truth whether or not they knew the answer immediately, I think, and were willing to help me also learn how to ask. One of the most common phrases my parents eventually came up with was, John, look it up, <laughs> um, because I would ask all these questions. Um, and from Brian, you know from knowing me, and Isaac, you from knowing me. Um, John, getting to know me. Yes, right, um, right, right. You know, I was a really, it might not surprise you, but I was a fairly inquisitive lad. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would just ask question upon question upon question. And they taught me how to learn. Mm -hmm. Not only just the answer, but where to look, how to understand, how to, you know, find the answer. And I think that's a really important thing, is that when we're raising our children, we not only give them the answer, but the why behind it, why it's an important, I mean, why it's important that we really listen to what the question is first, um, but that also that we tell them why. Not just the what, not just a yes or a no, but the what, what's behind it. Um, I think that's a critical part of it. Um, and Father, if I, if I can jump in real quick, sure, it's sure. this idea of what you're speaking to screams of what this culture needs so desperately. I mean, we live in a culture of chaos and confusion mm -hmm. and a lot of uncertainty where things are shifting so right. much, it doesn't seem like there's anything certain to hold on to. But right. what it seems that you're describing is that there there is something and someone that is certain mm -hmm. and that within the church, it, there's that sense of rock solid confidence mm -hmm. that the answer to our questions is somewhere. But right. the problem is, I think we've replaced that God for Google. Mm -hmm. And Google yes. becomes this, like, whatever you can find. And if you can't find it, well, it must not be true at all. And uh, that's not as healthy, I'd say, right? I, I agree. I kind of, I, you know, it, it, I, I trust uh, Dr. Google about it. I trust theologian <laughs> Google about as much as I trust Dr. Google. No. <laughs> um, which means that, I mean, I can, if, if I feel like I really want to find and diagnose myself with the fact that I'm dying, I can find something. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a few extra glasses of water yesterday, and I guarantee you there's some condition I can find that has to do with the fact that I was a little more thirsty. And it's all over. Yeah. And I think that with theology, part of the thing is that, you know, you can, Google just gives information. It doesn't say whether it's true. It doesn't say whether it's valid. It doesn't say whether or not it's accurate. It just is able to spit it out. Now it tries, but it's an algorithm. And sometimes that algorithm is slanted at times too. I mean, because any human being coming in contact with it is going to try and put his own opinion on it or his own edge on it. Right. Um, and so what you end up having is you can find what you want. And so you end up being the ground of your own faith. Mm. And we all know at the core that's unstable. You mentioned instability. You know, when Jesus gives us the example of the house built upon the rock or the house built upon the sand, I think one of the things that often happens to us is that when we build our house on sand, even before the waves come, and they will, Jesus says they will, not, not if they do, but when the storm comes. Even before the storm, storm comes, if you tried to build a heavy something on sand, it, the sand tries to escape out from the underside all the time. And so I, we become incredibly anxious trying to stuff the sand back underneath all the sides and shore up our position or what we believe that is not founded on truth. And so there's an incredible anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then when we have the discussions with other people, um, one of the things I don't think we always hear is just how anxious they are. Because they're doing everything they can to shore up the way they've built their life. And if we step in with this pesky thing called the truth, 
without understanding where they are right now. And they're a deep anxiety about trying to, you know, shore up everything. One of the first things we have to tell them as we hear, I understand and say, look, this isn't how you have to live. Yeah. Not everything is that uncertain. And it's not meant to be, but there's actually good news. You know, because there's an anxiety that if anything challenges it, some linchpin of my whole life is going to come undone. Right. And if we are, if we understand that we are built on something greater, deeper, and more enduring, if we're built on the gospel of, of Christ Jesus revealed to us by God, we recognize that there's something solid. And so if I don't have the answer, it doesn't mean my life's over. It means I don't have the answer. In the circumstance where someone is actually trying to take the action of putting the sand back under, if the sand runs out, the whole house tips. And there's a deep anxiety to that. And I think that sometimes we in the church, um, we can take on the demeanor of the culture and be so afraid that if I don't know the answer, that somehow, and I'm hoping I'm not tapping the microphone with my fingers. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Absent-minded. I, I, I mentioned the absent-minded professor thing. <laughs> right. That if we are, um, that we can take on that persona of being anxious about whether yeah. we have the answer. Because we'll sometimes be faced with people who say, ah, you don't know the answer, therefore it's not true. Well, where else in life is it that way? Yeah. It's not. Just because I don't know doesn't mean it's not true. Right. And I trust especially after doing the study and the search, that it's there. No. And, and uh, one thing I did want to really get to, and I know, Isaac, I don't want no, to... go I, for it. You mentioned how my family formed me for it. And this is an important part, that mom and dad were always there. Were mom and dad perfect at all points? No, of course not. No human being is. But I knew through watching them, how they lived, what they did, I witnessed forgiveness. I witnessed love. I witnessed the stability of the family. And I witnessed both the, the, the mother and father side of it. And both were critical. You know, people would often think, well, it was just following the footsteps of my father. Well, no. My mother's faith was very much a part of what made me who I am. And a, a good symbol, I, I think, of how deeply rooted and how present God was in my life because of their witness, because of how they demonstrated it. Um, and this is a story that my mother told me many years later when I, I finally, you know, said that I told her that I was going to become a priest uh, or that I was considering heavily becoming a priest. She kind of said something akin to, well, Jonathan, we kind of always knew that was where you were headed. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't want to say anything because we didn't want to throw it off. I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend that angle. <laughs> it's, okay, it's, awesome. okay, it's okay to actually lift up your kids in it, you know. Um, just recognizing that all things, they may feel called at one point, they may wane, they may find it again. Yeah. And so being careful to let their discernment truly be God's relationship with them and God's interaction with them and let the Holy Spirit be free to do what he does. Because all the times we think we have an idea of what our life is meant to be, God's is greater. Mm -hmm. um, but one story she told me from when I was young was apparently at one point I was... Um, a little kid in this small town church that looked like a little English country parish in small, small town, Pennsylvania. And every Episcopal church had a cathedra for the bishop to sit in. So there was a bishop's chair that was in the church, you know, and I remember it was this wooden thing that had a bishop's mitre on top of it. And I was talking with my hands, everyone who's listening. <laughs> bishop's mitre on top of it. And my mom saw me sitting there and just being very happy. Yeah. And mom thought, oh, isn't that nice? You know, Jonathan's playing bishop. 
And she asked you were me, in the chair. I was in the chair, sitting in the chair. <laughs> and she asked me what I was doing. And um, this is one of the moments for her she realized I'd probably become a priest. I didn't answer, I'm playing bishop. I said, apparently very simply as a young child, I'm sitting in God's lap. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. And that has been... Uh, wow. That was the gift my family gave me. Yeah. Mm. Was that, that secure knowledge of a love of God and that that, you know, just as much as I love sitting in my parents' lap and enjoying that embrace, they shared that with me in the faith. Um, and they didn't share the, they didn't, it wasn't an anxious thing. It was a secure thing. It's beautiful to think of, uh, of, the, of the authority figure of the parent of the adult mm -hmm. passing on childlike faith. I've never really mm -hmm. thought of it exact. Mm -hmm. I've heard you even say that before, mm -hmm. and I've never really had that thought before of like, not only are my kids looking to me to know how to navigate the world mm -hmm. and to, to know things and to do things properly, but also know when to not <laughs> not have all the answers and to just sit right. in God's lap. Right. Um, you know, that's that's really special insight, I think. And I think we need that. I think we we have, I mean, we are in such an anxious time. And I think we as Catholic parents can, look, there's so much to be afraid of, you know, but I think that part, I mean, there's a, that we don't want a bunker mentality. Sometimes a greenhouse is actually okay. <laughs> greenhouse is good. Yeah. There are places where we need a greenhouse. You know, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, for those who know gardening, you'll know much more about that than I would. Like Isaac, you know much more about this <laughs> than I do. But Probably but not we, that much. But we, but we also recognize that there's a safety in our faith yeah. and we can trust that. You know, St. Augustine wandered for years upon years, and Monica's prayers brought him home. And we can also trust that as much as we love our children, God loves them infinitely more. Mm. And that's one of the deepest mysteries of my faith. But it also helps me trust that I am a part of this, not the entirety. Mm -hmm. And that's an important part for me to have the freedom to be who I need to be as a father and as a priest. Beautiful. So. Yeah, that, that is really beautiful. And it's really resonating with me as a parent and I know we're kind of due for a short break here in a moment, but something I'm taking out of this is the example that we set for our children, the lived example, is often as important, as influential as, as the specific things that we say. And what really resonates with me is your comment about the desire that we have to think we have to know all the answers before we engage in a conversation. That's a, that's a real weakness of mine. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, I'll go try to find out the answer or let's look at it. And that can be true in our day-to-day -day conversations. Perhaps somebody questions us about our faith, you know, and maybe they've asked a question I've never heard before. I don't know the answer. I don't have to be an encyclopedia of answers. Right. And we get a little bit, as you said, anxious, I think a little insecure. I think there's a pride factor there as well. But I'm thinking about that now in terms of how we lead and guide our children. And one of the common experiences of all parents is there will come a day when your kids go from thinking you're awesome and perfect and know everything to realizing that's an illusion, right? The bubble's gonna burst someday. And yet what I think is interesting is that's going to happen. We can't stop that from happening. They're gonna realize mom and dad don't know everything. But if we were leading them with humility, all along, 
and not pretending we knew everything. They may still wind up someday saying, "Mom and Dad don't know everything," but what they will remember is, "But they knew who did, and they kept going to him." Mm-hmm. And that I think is going to have the deeper impact at yes. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Is not that we had all the answers, but that we they saw us going to the source of all answers over and right. over again. Right. That we not only know the truth, but we, I mean, you know, sense not that we know the absolute, all the facts. But we know the person. We know the truth himself. Yeah. And I think that's, and, and so, and, and also teaching them how to do that. So not only saying, I'll look it up, but when they get older, how do we look this up together? Leaving them those tools. You know, or, or you know. Because we're not going to be around forever. No. Well, if the family is the school of love, the goal, I would say, of raising children, even though I don't have them myself yet, mm-hmm. is to help them to learn how to learn. To discover a desire for learning. That's why we go to school anyway. And right. oftentimes we get for, we forget that based on grades and scholarships and all these mm-hmm. things we have to do to fulfill requirements. Mm-hmm. But the whole point of being institutionalized is not to be incapable of flourishing, but to actually mm-hmm. have the foundation upon which to build your own life of longing, searching, seeking, discovering. Right. right. Absolutely. It's good. Well, Father, we're going to take a very short break and then come back with some more questions uh, about the next phase of your life. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more Spirit Inspire. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on uh, YouTube, on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and like and subscribe. And if you uh, feel led to support us, we also uh, can be found on Patreon. And we'll be back in just a moment. Hey everyone, this week's episode is sponsored by Family Renewal Project. FRP is a local theology of the body apostolate in service to the Archdiocese of Louisville. They're dedicated to renewing the culture through the renewal of the family. They have so many amazing things going on, so check them out at FamilyRenewalProject.com. All right, well, welcome back to Spirit Inspire. We've been talking with Father Jonathan Erdman today. He's been telling us a little bit of his story about his childhood, uh, being raised in the faith by his parents. And, and Father, I'd like to kind of move into the next section of your life. Sure. I know, obviously, at some point, we're going to hear about you moving from the Episcopal background to becoming Catholic. That's a big part. Yes, so let's kind of lead, kind of lead us up to that part. Um, you mentioned earlier being at Harvard Divinity School. Oh. Um, you know, oh. um, the sound... The, Harvard Divinity School, my goodness, sir. <laughs> Yale Divinity School, sir. Yes. Yale we'll Divinity School. We'll do this over again. Oh. No, that would have been great oh. to just let that I'm fly. Wounded. That's actually funny. I'm wounded. I no, was hoping and thinking you were yeah. making a joke, oh, like no. stabbed in the heart a little. No. no, we're leaving that in. That's yeah, too good for everyone. I loved your reaction. <laughs> this is my this is my lesson in humility for today. We're just gonna brought, we're gonna publish that and let it go. That's right, everyone. You. Heard Right, yeah. first. <laughs> My goodness, all right. You know, it just flowed so trippingly off the tongue. I'm, I'm wounded. I, I can see this. Uh, Yale. 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 But really, what's the difference, Father? I mean, oh, yeah. Cambridge, all the same, right? All the same, right? Say <laughs> next Trinity, it's the same. Yeah, okay, now we do have to cut it. Oh, no, no. So, um... And clearly your memories concerning 
Harvard Divinity School are terrible. So let's talk about your memories at the, uh, the Thank you, sir. Yale Divinity School. <laughs> Certainly. So what, where did you like start feeling the, the calling to be an Episcopal priest and kind of tell us about your, your education um, ordination? Sure, of course. I mean, the systems are a bit different. Like I yeah. said, the, uh, the Catholic system has you in uh, minor seminary and major seminary. So you get an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree. In the Episcopal Church, you get whatever undergraduate degree you want, and then um, you move into seminary for your theology degree. What is minor and major seminary? Like, what, what's the difference? Minor seminary is college, and okay. major seminary is grad school, basically. Gotcha. That's the easiest way to understand it. Um, I mean, now, in the, in the Catholic Church, if you've already gone to college and then you discern into the priesthood, do you still go to minor seminary? See, this is one of those moments where it's really good. I don't have to okay. immediate, immediately answer every question. <laughs> no. We're putting um, into practice. Because we're, we're putting into practice what I just mentioned. I'm pretty but sure you still go. Out. I'm pretty sure, depending, I'm pretty sure you still most of the time go to minor seminary okay. and then major. There may be exceptions sometimes made, but I'm pretty sure it's still both. I think there's some it, level especially of reduced. If there's, especially if there's been a gap. Yeah. I mean, if you, if I, I think, especially if it's been ten years since your undergraduate degree, sure. you're likely going to go to minor seminary just to learn to learn again. Okay. So would it be fair to um, say then that that Harvard would be more minor and Yale <laughs> would be more major? I would always agree with that. <laughs> you know. um, but actually, you know, I'm it's interesting. To save it's, myself here. Well, it's interesting though that you bring it up. There were some very distinct differences. Um, Harvard Divinity School, um, at least when I, at least when I was at Yale Divinity School had much more of a, a, a film, a little more of a religious studies program okay. than a divinity school. It still was one, yeah. you know, but, but Yale Divinity School, you had a, a, about a solid, um, I know this may sound like a low number for a seminary, but, you know, in the Ivy League, it was pretty good. It got solid about 75% to 80% of people were believing Christians. Wow. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, about, about half were going into ministry. Wow. Yeah. For many numbers. So you'd half, half were on the MDiv program uh, track. And half were on the MAR track, basically, Master of Arts and Religion. Um, and so basically you had both of those two uh, groups. You had a good group that was actually going on into, into um, academics. Right. And it really did make the conversations very engaging. Sure. Um, because you'd have some people in class who just weren't believers at all, and you had to stand and defend. Right. And you had some who were very vociferously believing. Um, and so this made for some very interesting discussions within class. Um, but basically, my undergraduate was in psychology, um, and so my undergrad, that's what brought me into, um, and then um, when I decided to become a priest or started feeling called, was probably around my sophomore year of high school. Okay. And so I entered undergraduate thinking of it as a preparatory degree. Mm. Um, and psychology seemed a good subject. To, when I asked my father his opinion on the matter, he said, should I, should I go to religious studies or theology? He said, no, you'll get enough of that in seminary get a more diverse background. Right. Mm. And so I studied psychology. And I do think that does help my preaching. Absolutely. Um, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and ministry. Mm -hmm. yes, oh, absolutely. absolutely. But I mean, also in preaching, I'm, I'm, homiletics is something I especially intend. Um, pastoral care, absolutely, too. But um, one of the things that I try to do in my preaching is um, kind of tap into where the, the congregation is emotionally. Right. Hmm. So that I don't have to give an illustration from my life, but that however I present the scriptures and the passage for the day, I do so in a way that elicits an example in your own. Yeah, it's much better if you hear your own story than mine. Yeah, that's that makes um, a lot and, of sense. And so if I can get to the if I can get that connection from the scripture, not just as something read on the page, but actually to where it hits your heart, hmm. that's where that's where the gospel really is known. Is where it hits your heart and where it's converted. Hmm. Um, so I'm glad for my psychology degree. Um, but at Yale Divinity School, we had a wide, it was deeply ecumenical. 
I had some Catholic professors, some more Catholic than others. I had some, uh, you know, some very uh, people from all other traditions. I had, there was a strong Episcopal presence, but there was Methodist, there was Baptist, there were some professors that were atheist. Mm -hmm. You had a, a but the majority of the of the professors and the students were believing Christians. Right. Um, but it was a very ecumenical background, and so you know, Marquand Chapel would be very. Um, it contained elements of almost every one of the traditions. And there was also Berkeley Divinity School at Yale, which was the Episcopal branch, mm. um, which was by far the largest branch. We had about a third of a student body or more. Um, and so there was a very strong Episcopal presence. Um, but I mean, it, it, it was a very different kind of place. Um, it, uh, and I think it prepared me well, because it, it, you had to have, the, you had to defend whatever you said. Yeah. There was no general assumption that could be could be just taken as taken for granted. You're not preaching to the choir. No, you're getting your faith tested. Yeah, and you and you did pretty much every every time. Yeah, um, and that was an interesting experience. So some professors, you really had to you know listen and and you were challenged, mm -hmm. and then had to really kind of come to understand why you believe what you believed. And some of them would just say something that I mean again today just completely preaches. Yeah. You know, I still remember, I still remember one of my favorite professors in the Old Testament, you know, talking about the prophet Jeremiah. And there's this passage that's on every ordination card in almost every tradition, I think. Before you were born, I knew you while you, you know, I, and I called you, I sanctified you, you know, the beginning of Jeremiah. And I still remember him leaning over his glasses like this and saying, for Jeremiah, that was not a good <laughs> you, know, and, you know, or this was not a good thing. And talking about how Jeremiah basically accused God of ruining his life half the time. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, you did this to me. You know, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and with Jeremiah, he felt that way at a lot of times. And then, of course, all uh, you see him swing completely into Jeremiah the prophet, yeah. where you kind of get this sense of holy fear and I just better duck because Jeremiah is coming. Which, right. Yet the Lord is with me like a dread warrior. It's like, ah, he's back. You know, um, right. but we often we often can. Um, and I think that knowing scripture more deeply does help us avoid a caricature of a passage mm -hmm. that our faith is both beautiful and encounters the world as it truly is. You know, it, it's um, to uh, it encounters. Uh, uh, there's a biblical scholar, N.T. Wright, who talks mm -hmm. about good Christian art. Uh, who happens to be an Anglican bishop as well. So, you know, and he actually helped me become Catholic. <laughs> Probably unwittingly. But his, <laughs> wow. he helped aim me in this direction. Just like C.S. Um, Lewis has helped so many people become Catholic. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, and yeah, he's, absolutely. Like, he's like one of the best uh, apologists. He, he, uh, he is, uh, it's and, a rare Father Edmund homily that doesn't uh, quote Lewis, I would think. No, that's or, not true. Okay. I, I, quote, I, I quote Lewis some, but it's okay, a Caesar. All right. Season. All right. Well, um, I, I love But uh, Lewis does a wonderful explanation. Lewis does a wonderful exploration of purgatory. Yes. In his book, The Great Divorce, it's yeah. a beautiful exploration of exploration mm -hmm. of, of purgation. Um, but um, you know what I would say with N.T. Wright is he talked about how good Christian art, and this should be good Christian theology, takes into it is neither brutalism nor is it kitsch. Mm -hmm. It takes into account the reality of the world around us, but also holds the beauty and hope of the gospel in a way that the That's two awesome. the two interact with each other so that we see the power of the resurrection as it meets the hardship of the world. Mm. Whereas the world oftentimes props up this mask of beauty and attraction mm. and entertainment, mm. whereas mm. behind it is all the brutality and violence and darkness mm. of addiction and despair. Right. And the church does the, on many ways, the opposite. It, it highlights the beauty, but 
in so doing, it guides people to the reality of their goodness, mm-hmm. their truth, of their dignity. Right. And, 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 you know, the world does kind of both. The world kind of, you've got both extremes. You've got brutalism and you've got, you know, I mean, a white sheet of paper. This is art. Well, no, it's really, I mean, <laughs> right. no, it's not, you know, uh, you know, and, and in a way, this would be a fun discussion for later, too. Um, and, you know, that uh, in some ways, beauty is objective, not subjective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the Greek word for beauty and truth and goodness, it's, you know, well, not, not truth, sorry, but beauty and goodness is the same. It's kalos. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, well, yeah, there's some people yeah, that throw beauty good. into the transcendentals, so, you know. Yeah, but it's, so. it, it's interesting to that point because mm-hmm. there has been a trend in, in the last, you know, 100, 150 years, mm-hmm. uh, but especially more recently for books, for uh, movies, mm-hmm. to focus more and more on the sordid realities of life in a very tragic way because that's more, you know, realistic mm-hmm. than the happy Hollywood endings. And that can be true, but I'm not convinced that that's absolutely realistic when you're when you're kind of devoid of all hope. As you say, you have to balance it with the gospel message. Right. Well, I mean, I think there's a right resistance to kitsch. Exactly. You know, it's like if you know if something doesn't connect to real life, you know, and you see, I, we even see this in how fairy tales developed. You know, you've got. You know, um, the older fairy tales were very realistic and very hard. They were very grim, you know, very, actually. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, brother. You have the authority to fire him if you don't, if you want to. Uh, come on. Oh, okay. oh, brother. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, when you talk about. Maybe we'll a pun off at the end. Not, then it's all happily ever after. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah. but if, if you look at it, if you look at, like, for example, Cinderella, you know, with, with the slipper, um, the Disney-fied version was, was totally, I mean, there was some antagonist but not nearly the grit of the other in the in the, and, in the original didn't like the the stepsisters like even try cutting their feet to yes. fit them in the slipper like oh, it's no. really yes. yeah, there is there is there is, yeah, yes there is and and i think that you know um they, they do they try mm-hmm. to fit their their body into what it's into this shape so that it fits um and you know it's one of those things that you know um and then of course it's the blood leaking out of the bottom of the shoe that recognizes that that's not not theirs oh my God. um it's terrible i mean charming, it really is pretty bad charming stuff um you know <laughs> sorry children <Charming. laughs> listening sorry about the education <laughs> uh, but you know um <laughs> but you know but no but there's a reality of it though that the older ones did take into account sure as it were grim reality yeah um but they also in the end also would hold up some hope right and i think that we rightly resist kitsch because it doesn't resonate. It, it's, it's not the life we lead. And so some people think, well, this is a deeply gripping book that gets to the heart of the problem. Well, it, it may explain the problem, but it doesn't give the hope. Mm-hmm. But that's still going to connect with you better than kitsch. Right. But the reality is we can also say, okay, good. That's a nice start. But why don't we go from, you know, the reality of the streets of Calcutta to Mother Teresa? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's an inspiration there that is far greater and a hope that's far greater than uh, just that. Now, at some point you wanted to ask me about my conversion and I keep sidetracking it. So. <laughs> oh, no, no, this is great. Oh, no, this this is is so, so it's probably better that we yeah. go back to your Which, story. I mean, and Dostoevsky gonna... would probably last about as long as his writing. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, and I think we'll we'll get to the conversion a bit, but you, you spoke a little bit just now, quite a bit about sacred scripture. And it's something in the years that I've known you, which, let's see, you've been Catholic priest for seven years? Uh, six. six. No, wait. Okay, 20, ah, do this every time. Uh, five years. Five years. And you don't I have met, a child that was born around the yeah. same time that you can just say their age. Yeah, one year early. You're right. Yeah, no, okay. I do. Okay, that's, right, that's right. You're good. I'll think about them. There's Joshua plus one. Uh, which would be judges. Never mind. Um. <laughs> 
So I met you roughly a year before that. So mm-hmm. it's been about six years, I guess. But in listening to your homilies and also knowing you personally, your I don't know, scripture plays such a, a large role Absolutely. In, to me. And it's not just a matter of somebody who's well-educated in the scriptures and can quote them fluently. There's clearly a very deep connection that you have with mm-hmm. the scriptures. Is that something that grew out of your time in divinity school? Was it already present before it, that? It grew out of my time in divinity school and, and the faith of my father. Uh, my father um, understood himself within the Episcopal Church to be both an evangelical and Catholic. Okay. Now, remember, in the Episcopal world, when we use the word, when the Episcopal Church uses the word Catholic, they will try to make a distinction between little c and big c. Sure. So they're not saying Roman Catholic, but they mean more universal, and 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 then people really do earnestly believe it, and so and I did too. Yeah. I mean, so I'm not saying I don't. I, I'm not saying I didn't at the time. Yeah. I did. I believed that I was not a Protestant. I was somehow a branch of the Catholic Church without being in full communion with it. Right. Which I understand is a confusing concept, and it is a confusing concept. Um, but basically, um, the idea that the faith and the scriptures are, are, are very deeply intertwined. And that, um, you know, when, when you, when you uh, listen to a sermon preached by a priest of the ordinariate, most likely you are going to get something that is very scriptural and patristic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then remember that, that, that those two things are going to be kind of some of the characteristics of an ordinariate sermon um, are going to be, um, because there was much more of an emphasis on the patristic fathers in our formation. Right. Um, and so patristics and scripture are going to be where you're going to get that central core. And um, one of the things that I think one of the greatest gifts that we have is the Liturgy of the Hours. Yes. Um, and the Ordinariate's Liturgy of the Hours is a bit longer. Uh, like most things ordinary, it takes a bit more time. Mm-hmm. The name is longer, the Liturgy of the Hours is longer, <laughs> you know. Um, but we basically take what, what, is, what the uh, typical um, Liturgy of the Hours has for the Office of Readings and we add to it and then split it between morning and evening prayer and tag it on to basically what's matins and vespers. Okay. Um, you know, and so we've got morning prayer, evening prayer. Um, and I make the joke when I announce, when I talk about when our, our, when our yeah, Wednesday and Friday evening masses are, I say as close to 5.30 as the daily office will allow. <laughs> um, and so that means if you get there by 5.30, you'll be there in time for the start of mass. But I might have... A chapter of Ezra to read tonight. Right. <laughs> and a chapter of St. Paul, which might be one sentence, but it's still a chapter right. of Paul. Because uh, that's Paul. Well, I'm, um, but I'm struck by this Episcopal charism flowing through, though, because you talked about the the choir with a school. I mean, that, that life mm-hmm. was built around the liturgy. Yes. And that uh, so there's something very special about that mm-hmm. that maybe is a little bit foreign to uh, a uh, most of the of of Roman Catholicism, yeah. where it's, it's like, a distinctively Harvard if mass is in, coming out. isn't an hour. You're just going to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, mass, mass, mass is an hour, and without a choir, mass better be 35 minutes. Right? Not, to, not to throw sometimes... my mom under the bus, but she would yeah. refer to booby trap masses when there was like a baptism or a, uh, right. or a well, marriage no, well, or something like that. It's I like, mean, you know, you expected well, an hour and it was an hour 20. We, right. <laughs> part of the ordinary charism, in addition to the liturgy itself, is that we're used to spending time with each other. Mm. You know, there is, you know, some, it's not just, and it's not just the side effect of our communities being smaller. Even our larger communities do this, um, that when you go to church, you're going to church, you know, and it's going to be a while. You know, you're going to go, you're going to go to mass. You're going to be there. Mass might be an hour and 15. If you have something, if it's a booby trap mass, (laughs) it might be longer. That's okay. You know, we're there for that. 
And then we gather for, I mean, coffee hour and, and like, you know, every Sunday, you know, that it's not a, uh, speaking of coffee, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, we? should we let the audience is, in on this, the joke? This, <laughs> this, this is, this is coffee in sim in appearance only. Um, they, I, 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 I've told Brian many times that I, I need two cups of coffee per child per day to survive. <laughs> Um, and they have water in a mug. And your host today uh, yeah, failed so, to provide so, coffee. So, 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 Father Erdman almost so, turned around and walked back. It's okay. It's okay. If I fall asleep today, uh, one of them will dump the water on my head to wake me up. For all but, of our audience, but, please pray for me. There's rumors of me being excommunicated. For <laughs> I will speak with your pastor. Thank you. Um, so, no, but um, but basically, there that we, we spend time with each other that... Coffee hour and the community is a big part of it. And yes, I mean, that that we are centered, uh, the life of the community centers upon the liturgy. Um, and the daily office is something, I mean, if you think about it, there's something very Catholic about it. The Second Vatican Council wanted the liturgy of the hours to be something in the hands mm -hmm. of every person. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, Pope Paul VI called it the height of family prayer. Height mm -hmm. of family prayer. Right. Saint Pope Paul VI. Right. Yeah, Saint so. Paul VI talked exactly yeah. about the height of family prayer, and and yet, you know, um, and what's wonderful is, you know, we actually are able to do it now. But what happens? Well, in in, in good Catholic publishing fashion, it becomes a three volume set at the price of about I think three hundred to six hundred dollars, with yep. needing something equivalent to a slide rule to know where the ribbons are supposed to go at now, any time. Have you heard of Bishop Barron's? I have initiative. What do you think of that? I love it, uh, Bishop Barron. Uh, due to the goodness of, of of you know desktop publishing, of which I'm an avid fan, I enjoy <laughs> desktop publishing myself. Um, he has it so you can subscribe and get a book with the liturgy of the hours. No page turns, just one bookmark, and you can follow right through. And they give you and a new one every month. Seven exactly. bucks. It's a subscription, yeah. seven bucks every month. You've got it. Um, and, and, you know, for those who want to subscribe, that's great. Um, I think there is something to Cardinal Sarah saying, having a book in your hand is very good, not your electronic device. Mm -hmm. But never let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I mean, you know, if we... Now we have it. We are able to, you know, a family can pick up a, an iPad or a, a Kindle or whatever, or a phone simply, and you can do the liturgy of the hours yeah. from an app. Ibrevery and other things. Or other things. That's right. There's plenty of them. Hallow. And, and the, Hallow. Um, and those are available for people to pick up and make the liturgy of the hours a part of their, a part of their core of their life. Mm -hmm. But also it's something that the parishes can do. You know, I mean, like, a, a, you know, for... Our, our, on Wednesday night, our pattern is, um, and Friday, confessions at 4.15, evening prayer at 5, and then mass at 5.30-ish, as I just said, <laughs> um, depending on what the office allows. But it basically allows for the whole night to flow, and if, if confessions go long, a layperson reads the office. Mm. If confessions are, you know, if I, if I, if confessions run on schedule, which who knows when they ever do, right. but when, they, when they're, as it were, on schedule, then I will chant the office. Um, but it's just, it, it's meant to be a part of not only, the Liturgy of the Hours is meant to be an active part of a church's life. And not just individual, but communal. Right. That, you know, if we're getting together to pray with each other, the Liturgy of the Hours is meant to be one of the central ways we do it. So when I have parish council meetings, our, our, the ordinary it's parish council, we will start with, we'll start with um, terse. Mm. We meet at 10, we say the office of terse, and then we move into the meeting. That's a, you know, ugh. and it, it doesn't take that long. I mean, the word terse comes from the, you know, I, I think it comes from the office. It's not that long. <laughs> it's, and if um, anybody listening, those are, mm -hmm. those terms are, are coming from the eight hours of monastic prayer. Mm -hmm. 
right? So you have, I used to know these not actually from being Catholic. I used to know these from uh, being a music major in college. Mm. We had to go through a chant right. at one point. So right, the monks, the nuns, cloister, right. so consecrated you, you religious who are about praying. about 4 a.m. And of course you end with compline, you got Vespers. Mm-hmm. So Terse is what the, th- is it the second or third? It's the third. Is it because it was? I think it's the third. I, you know, and it's the sad thing that I, so I wouldn't be able to know it. Lauds is morning prayer. Vespers is evening Vigil prayer. Vigil is first, so Come then lauds. Vigil would be like pre-dawn. Lauds is dawn. <laughs> then you have terse, sext, non. And those Vespers, had, and those are taken on by the hours of day. So the third hour of day is terse. The sixth hour of the day is is, yeah. is noon. The ninth hour of the day is is known. Yeah. Then like, and then wow. what is it? Vespers, matins, compline, or matins, vesper? What? Uh, you know, something uh, like that. That was pretty good. You guys didn't warn me. You're going to quiz me here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, sorry. I can tell you what our office has. Uh, our <laughs> office is morning prayer. Uh, we have, we start with and the, um, the English. Also, they have prime as well, which is the mm. early morning one. Okay. So the the the, uh, the Commonwealth edition. There are two different editions. Uh, the the American edition for both North America and uh, um, we have uh, morning prayer, terse, sext, known. Evening prayer, Compline. Okay. Wow. And so, and what we're, what we're obliged to do as priests is we're obliged to say morning prayer and evening prayer, which would encompass the office of readings. Right. And one of the midday offices. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Compline is wonderful, but it's not an absolute requirement, but it is really wonderful. And one of the things that the office does for us when we build our lives around it, we get a good amount of scripture and prayed scripture, applied scripture. It's not just, I read it, but I read it devotionally. Right. You know, and for those who say the Catholic Church doesn't love Scripture, you know, and this is always one of those strange things, there's actually an indulgence for reading Scripture devotionally yes. for 30 yes, minutes a day. You, that's a plenary, you know, <laughs> if you meet all the conditions, you know. And yeah. we'll talk about, you, you can look up Father Erdman's statements on indulgences later. It's its own rabbit hole. Right? But it is its own rabbit hole, and it really is. Uh, but long and short of it, it, it anyway, uh, it's it's the whole body working together. We'll talk about that later. But um, but it, it's one of those things that it lets the scripture be a part of the way we live and breathe. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's especially when there are bigger portions of it, which I mean can get tiresome. There's no question, but it's worth it. Yeah. Um, but I'll even sometimes find myself preaching a preaching a short homily on the on the office readings, because there's if we actually hear it. Take it, apply it in such a way it has to be preached. It becomes more a part of you. Uh, and and to so, go to take it back, you said that's how your dad was. That the scripture right. was integrated into his that's person, right. and that's really what liturgy of the hours oh, is intended to do. Exactly. And my mom gave him such a hard time about the fact that he had like a whole bookshelf of different translations of the Bible. <laughs> you know, like two, oh, yeah. actually two whole bookshelves. And he's like, "How many Bibles do you need?" And he's like, "At least one more." You know, I mean, you know, so, well, Father, yeah. what's really struck me more than anything that you said with this is that desire to spend time together. You know, I grew up in a small parish at St. Luke. Our church burned down. We had to really band together. And over time, you know, the parishioners and life of the parish has somewhat dwindled on some level. But yet there's this desire to spend time together that was kind right. of instilled within me that I carried into college and mm-hmm. beyond. Um, but I feel like in our present culture with social media, even our small parishes maybe lost some of that, you know, and, and these ways of bringing people back together you can't just expect everybody just to do it again you know right even after covid where people had to people are on some level trying to 
pick up where they left off, go back to normal, and they forget these incredible lessons that we shouldn't forget. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you have this intentional uh, attitude toward how do we bring a community back to life, Liturgy of the Hours perhaps Mm -hmm. is a way to do that. And then mm-hmm. suddenly you can create a, 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 some sort of a rhythm in the life of the parish mm-hmm. where families and individuals can gather more than just the hour at mass where they don't even really speak to each other and then they leave in their right. cars before the priest isn't even off the altar. Right, right. Which is off right. The I mean, we can add it. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of parishes do wonderfully in providing for masses and providing times for the rosary. This is one other thing that can be added in. And have a brunch afterward, right? Well, I know, well that, that's, that's deeply patrimonial. You know? <laughs> with <laughs> coffee, of with, course. No, with, 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 well, I mean, you know, I mean, brunch, you'd have you know, a little more, too. You know, it might not be coffee. I mean, it's yeah. brunch, you know. Yeah, might be Irish um, coffee. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but I mean, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's something that, you know, having those opportunities to be with each other. You know, remember, you know, we hear in Scripture... We hear our Lord interact with the apostles mostly through teaching, but we also hear, you know, the number of times that he was given a hard time for actually just enjoying the company of people. Yeah. But if you think about it, what parent doesn't, you know, what good parent doesn't love the company of their children? They look, as human beings, we all get tired. There's no question. Sure. But, you know, what good parent doesn't sometimes just love to watch the kids play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so Jesus is there with the disciples. God himself is there watching the kids play. Sometimes catastrophically screwing up, sometimes getting getting incredibly done, incredibly well, you know, getting it done incredibly well, you know, and, and watching those moments where they just get it. I mean, that moment where you know Peter says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." That's got to be one of those moments where you know, you know, the parent is incredibly proud of the kid. And yeah. three minutes later, you know. she's just saying, "Get behind me, Satan!" Right, <laughs> well, right, right, right. You're a parent, right? You know, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like. <laughs> And that way we went, well, and there we go. You know, um, but you know, but it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it, just because we have that moment where we need to correct doesn't mean that that moment of, pro- of our, our pride in our children goes away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you know, this is really them. This is where we're trying to lift them back up to who they're really meant to be. And that's, a, that's a kind of a different thing. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Well, Father, we're coming up on a, another break here. So hopefully in the next segment, we can find out how you went from Harvard to Yale, and then from Yale into uh, be, into your conversion. Experience. I know he needs to have a break, but just for pure absolute knowledge, I never went to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> needs to, I just want that clearly said. You know, for the record, Yale, for the record, right. uh, written down in triplicate, I never went to Harvard. Right? <laughs> we'll be back. Soon. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Thank you. Hey everyone, another sponsor for today's episode is the Cathedral of the Assumption in the heart of downtown Louisville, Kentucky. It is the spiritual center of parish and family life and is a historic treasure for the Catholic Church in America. Take a tour or consider visiting for Mass. Check them out at cathedraloftheassumption.org. All right, welcome back to Spirit Inspire. We've been talking with Father Jonathan Erdman today. And Father, one of the things that occurs to me, not only today, but in other episodes we've done, is that even an hour and a half doesn't seem like enough time for an interview. So I think we have to have you back on again. We're going to have to probably, you know, there's big, big parts of the story of your life that I think would be fascinating to spend more time on. But 
Uh, moving into the next section, I'm going to turn things over to John. And, uh, awesome. Yeah, and maybe you can ask him more about his time at Harvard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You like that? No. <laughs> That'll never die, will it? No, 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 it's all right. No, my failure to bring coffee today. Right, right. True. Well, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. Father, thank you for being here. Um, we were getting into your conversion and what really led you to the church, as well mm -hmm. as what made you feel called to remain or become a Catholic priest, knowing the call mm -hmm. to celibacy for right. others, while there would be right. maybe potential confusion, misinterpretation, things mm -hmm. like that, that, oh, the church is changing its teaching all of a sudden. Right. And how can you maybe speak to some of that as well, but what led you? Sure. Well, I mean, mindful of your mindful of your statement about you know an hour and a half isn't long enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? There's um, truth. So that. okay. So let let's kind of take each of those bit by bit. Sure. Um, so what led me to the church? Um, you know, one of the things is um, the short answer would kind of I guess be the Chestertonian answer. There are many answers, uh, all amounting to the fact that I believe the Catholic Church is true. Mm. Um, but one of the things that happened was is um, there were several occasions that. Uh, planted seeds, and then some moments that kind of really uh, pushed me forward. And so some of the seeds that were planted was, uh, one of the big ones was um, the birth of our twins, um, was actually a major seed. I didn't recognize it at the time, mm. but it's one of the big ones, um, in that um, we'd had Sarah. Uh, my wife and I lost a child um, at 15 weeks of pregnancy between uh, Sarah and Joseph. Mm. Um, and that is, um, you know, of course, that is one of the more deeper, one of the deepest griefs someone can have. Mm. Of course, it's not the same as, as, as um, I mean, every grief is different. And so, uh, you know, so notably, we were scared to ha try and have another child because it's, it's a fearsome thing when that happens. Um, and, you know, Joseph was conceived, he was born, he was healthy, and I kind of, uh, actually, he didn't have a thyroid. Uh, Okay, it's 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 fine. You know, he just takes medicine every day. But we had to start with a bottle and, and, and smash up uh, levothyroxine and put it in a bottle to feed him oh every day, goodness. every day of his life from age twelve, day twelve on. Wow. wow. Um, but you know, so you know, you never know. Again, it's totally taken care of. But you know, I thought, okay, we've got Joey. We're good. We've done the faithful thing. You know, and almost felt hear my, heard myself quoting The Simpsons or Homer Simpson and saying something akin to God, like, uh, if you want me to have no more children, give me absolutely no sign. <laughs> That will be done. And so, you know, I mean, but found myself kind of, you know, kind of found myself saying, you know, okay, thank you, God, for my family. I've done the faithful thing. But really, in a sense, I'm too scared to try again. Hmm. Um, you know, and this is back when we were Protestant. And so we were fully contracepted. Um, and, you know, and then lo and behold, we find out, you know, that Andrea is expecting a child. And then at the doctor, we find out, lo and behold, Andrea is expecting not one, but two children. Mm. Um, you know, so between fits of idiotic laughter as I realizing what's going on here. Um, <laughs> and, and having fun messing with my parents by saying, yes, we went to the doctor and yeah, the, the, the children are fine. And the babies look fine. Yeah. And they, what? you can hear that one, two, did you say babies? <laughs> you know, so that, that plural was there. Yeah. Um, but there was this, they also ended up developing um, a similar condition where there's a bleed between the placenta and, and the uh, uterine wall called the subchorionic bleed, which is part of what had caused Abigail to be lost. It's the mm -hmm. name of our, our 15 week old um, that we, we lost in the, uh, after the first trimester. Um, 
the same thing happened. And, you know, I kind of found myself taking on a Jeremiah, really? You're, you're doing this to me? Yeah. Um, now, of course, you know, um, we prayed. Um, you know, I took some time away from work to make sure Andre could stay in absolute bed rest. Um, and you always encountered in the hospital, you encountered um, doctors who are like, well, you know, if she can be on bed rest, but, you know, we also understand. And it's like, but bed rest will keep, have, has a much better chance of child being safe. Well, yes. Okay, well, mm. then I'm taking the bed rest. Right. You know, um, so we, we did some of that. And uh, the, the Gabriel and Naomi were born safely. Um, and one of the seeds that that planted for me was, uh, I just, uh, I always was pro-life in the sense, I, I always was against abortion. I was always against euthanasia. Uh, you know, I'd almost considered at one point in high school starting a, a group, there was a group called NOAL, a National Organization of Episcopalians for Life. Mm. You know, I, 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 you know, been part of that, but there was a way in which this really enlivened and brought forward to me a seed that would grow to fruition later where I realized, my goodness, no, we are not meant to control this artificially. Because mm -hmm. this that, was a quote-unquote failure of the birth control. Is that correct? Well, or, yeah. I mean, okay. sure. I mean, one could look at it that way. <laughs> I would say a success of life. But I mean, that's what I mean. You know, everything like... functioning as intended, you know, as opposed to with, you know, something trying to put a block in the way. So God thwarted your plans, yes, which and, was a and, good thing. And praise be to God that he did. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things is, you know, that, I mean, in every place he has thwarted my plans, um, it's always been better. Um, you know, there's a, there's a line in Isaiah where he, God says to his people, you know, or says to Isaiah, it's too light a thing for you to be the one to go restore my people Israel. But I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. Mm. It's like right after Isaiah is saying, that's it, I'm all over it. I have spent myself in vain. It's done. Mm -hmm. God says to him, you have no idea. What you think you're supposed to do is even less than you're supposed to do. Mm. I have something far greater for you. And there's always been that in my life over and over again with the conversion to the faith, with, uh, you know, with the birth of my twins. And now, of course, the birth of, of Joshua, my four-year-old, that it's always more. I had, God, just give me this and I'll be okay. Yeah. And actually, God had so much more in store, so much more in store. And so, you know, part of that, that nascent understanding of that, that, that can, realization that God's purpose was much greater, and oh my gosh, what would have happened if I if my will had been done? Well, I think oftentimes we say no, no to God, mm -hmm. whereas God never says no to us in prayer. He only right. says, yes, not yet, or I have something better in mind. That's right. something that right. I heard once. That, right. I have something better. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, and this is the way I would phrase it. I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a more positive spin on what I would say right. is behind every no is a greater yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, behind every no is a greater yes. And so what we experience is no is a, just wait for what I have coming for you. Right. You know, which is always something more. Um, and so, you know, that was one of the nascent seeds that was planted um, that was part of it. Um, there was always a sense that when I was in a Catholic church, it kind of felt like being in mom and dad's house. You know, you liked your apartment that you set up yourself, you know, <laughs> you know, you got the posters where you want it, you know, yeah. and all this, but there's mom and dad's house. Yeah. And you recognize it's mom and dad's house. So there's always that sense when I was in a Catholic church, you knew, hmm. you knew that it was right. You know, you, you may think at some point you, the places your apartment was better than mom and dad's, right. but it was mom and dad's house. Which legitimately it may have been. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know maybe right. some aspect of liturgy or something, you know, I mean, well, I, you know, something lacking, but it's still not mom and dad's house. Well, well, it's not mom and dad's house. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, so there was always that aspect of it. 
And then there was also, you know, I mean, even even what would sometimes drive my friends in seminary crazy about the Catholic Church not allowing people to receive the Eucharist if they weren't Catholic, I always respected. Yeah. Even as an Episcopalian, I respected it because it's like, well, no, we're not one, and we can't pretend like we are. Right. You know, I mean, I, I kind of wish I could receive. You know, back then I would say, I wish I could. But I, I deeply respected the statement that, well, no, we're not one yet. And we have to, you know, we have to get through these things in order to be one. Um, so there's a few of those things. There was always, you know, that Anglicanism taught me to long for a faith that was worldwide. Right. A faith that was scripturally based. A faith that was based on tradition, on reason, on right. truth, on, on, on sacrament, and on apostolic succession. And what I would say, what I, and, and on beauty, and what Anglicanism taught me to long for, I feel I, I found totally fulfilled in the Catholic faith. Where, and so it aimed me in the right way. And we should, we should remember that, you know, Second Vatican Council talks about other ecclesial communities having some definite and good elements of the truth. In sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, one, there's, a, there's a moment where you see Pope Benedict's face just come alive at an Anglican evensong, uh, you know, and, and when he's there in England and he's visiting as, as the Holy Father, and you see him just enamored by the yeah. beauty of what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's great beauty, and I, I really actually believe that I carry the faith of my family that I was raised in more fully and better and better defended right. in the Catholic Church now than it it's is It's not a rejection of what you're raised with. It is the fulfillment of it. Right, exactly. It, I, I don't reject what I was raised in. It's fulfilled. And, and the Catholic Church doesn't ask me to look back on the time I, when I was Episcopalian as, Oh, the dark times. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking of like Obi-Wan Kenobi, back in the dark times, before the dark times, before the empire. You know, no, I don't have to look back on it as, you know, the dark days of my life. Right. That, you know, this is something where I was greatly blessed by the faith of my parents, by the hymnody that I was raised in. Sure. I mean, washed in, in hymns that were rooted in, you know, ancient and beautiful and poetic translations. Well, same you know, here. It was magnificent. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm meant to take that forward with me. But there were a few things that, you know, that happened that um, I probably would have been fine in anesthesia for quite some time and kind of ignoring things for quite some time. But then God has his way of um, knocking us out of our, our, our seats. And so what eventually happened is the Episcopal Church did change its, its canons on marriage. Right. Um, and this happened when... Uh, whenever the Supreme Court changed it, it was exactly the same year. 2015. 2015. 2015. Okay, see, I mean, this is how I, I, I'm not very good at times and dates. Gotcha. But 2015. That's right. No, I, I, I became Catholic in 2015. I'm sure I had a kid that year. I became <laughs> That's been most yeah, years. Fair enough. I became Catholic in 2016. And so, um, but in 2015, the church changed its, uh, its marriage canons. And basically, if you double the length of this table, um, I was between the door of the church and, and if I'd gotten to double length this table out, I would have been out of the church for a month. And I would, I would have been on vacation for all of July and everything, you know, what of all the, the, the fever of all this would have been over. And um, a couple that I'd been, you know, one of, the, one of the, the two men I'd been talking with about helping him deal with the grief after the death of his mother. Um, and, and people that I care dearly for, yeah. um, you know, came forward and asked, can you do our marriage? That far from the door. Right. Well, the rest, in a sense, is history because I said, well, let's have a conversation. Later, had had conversations with the vestry. A lot of things happened. 
And I, I really don't think people, you know, I don't think that people were acting, you know, in, in some sort of nefarious way. But everyone was trying to do what they could with a system that, that didn't have um, the solidity of the authority of the church. It didn't have, um, it didn't have, and in a lot of ways, the Episcopal Church expects her bishops to take on the entirety of the role of the whole magisterium mm-hmm. in one diocese. I mean, and, and without having, uh, it's, it's very hard. There's, there's a lot put on the shoulders of every one person, and yet they're also not always given all the tools they need to do the work right. they do. And so it, it, the long and short of it was, it was, a, it was a hard time, and a very hard time. Hard for me, hard for my family, hard for the parish I was serving. It was a very difficult time. Um, and the long and short of it was in the end, I eventually did after a, a protracted time period, came to the conclusion that I, I needed to resign. Yeah. Not that I would leave the Episcopal Church, but that it wasn't going to work there. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, um, that despite what I believe were a lot of people's best efforts, it wasn't going to work. And that I didn't want to have my family have to repeatedly go through a process of, of, of difficulty. Right. And so I eventually left. And then I served some at St. Francis in the Fields as kind of mm-hmm. a place to hang my hat. Um, and I remember um, one moment... Um, yeah, I, I'd meant faithfully to f- continue as an Episcopal priest. Um, you know, it's, it's what I knew. I mean, 12 years, I right. was an Episcopal priest 12 years. My sure. Episcopalian for 38. You know, my dad's a priest, Nathan's a priest. You know, it's the life I know. Um, and I remember at one point coming to a very hard realization that I believed that the church was actually not an apostolic succession. Huh. Um, and I really can only describe that as a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It was a moment where I was asked a question and I was thrown back on my heels and realized I can't say yes to this. I don't know why I'm being told by God not to. So this wasn't something that came from like actually studying what had happened historically. You just kind of had this sense of, I don't know if I can... No, it did did with that too. No, it was both. It was both because this hit at a time where I was starting to discern. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so there was, the study was already underway in a variety of places. I was already searching. And at one point uh, I I was asked a question and um, I mean, it was actually at at a clergy day. Um, And it's it's the standard question you get, will you renew your, your vow of obedience to the bishop? You know, and... I had this, you know, and of course the church loves to ask this in a grandiose fashion, as it should, you know, you know, right. I mean, you know, but I mean, it, you know, it's always one of those things, you know, almost like, as you will stand before God under the dreadful day of judgment, you know, I mean, it doesn't really say that, but you know, <laughs> it's kind of this idea of under his smiting hand, and you know, it's like, you know, it goes seriously, you know, all of a sudden I had a conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know, where, you know, I, I was there to answer yes, I, I'd come to answer yes. Yeah. You know, even though I didn't agree with everything that my bishop and I, we, we had our disagreements, clearly. You know, I, I, I had come there to answer yes. And I just had this moment where I just had this grip that said, I dare not. Interesting. Uh, and, I, and I didn't know what that meant for me. Yeah. So, and so did, what did you say? Oh, I mean, well, this is a public well, situation? It's in group. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's in group. No one, no one's going to go, you know, you, 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 you. You know, it's, it, was, it was en masse. And I just kind of choked. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, what does this mean? Mm. Wow. You know, and I came to realize, I eventually came to realize that, you know, that it, in addition to, um, in addition to just being defense of a doctrine of faith and the teaching of the faith and the tradition that's been handed down, 
I came to realize, in addition to the sacrament, I just looked at it and thought, wait, who could I say that yes to? And was realizing that it was completely of my own making who I could agree with. Mm-hmm. Like if it was based on what I agree with, it was still me as the highest authority. Right. Not the bishops, but who I could line myself up with. Realizing the answer was five, it didn't look like apostolic succession anymore. And then I'm like, wait a minute. And then going back over the history and realizing that I thought it actually had been broken. Yeah. Which, I mean, for me, it's like, okay, so that has ramifications everywhere for my life. Right. Uh, Even your own ordination. My own ordination. I'm like going, ah, you know, and then it goes back to how do you <laughs> interpret everything? Um, and so the long and short of it, I mean, and again, this is just, there's my personal side. There's the Our Lady and St. John discernment side. Sure. There's so many parts of this, and I know we're running out of time. Sure. And so you guys can bring me back for part two of Father Erdman. I suppose. Love to. <laughs> oh, we definitely um, will. But, you know, but basically I, I, I have this hit. And then I got, we can end with how did I end up with Catholic rather than Orthodox? Because, um, you know, every good Protestant, you know, wants to look to the Orthodox, Orthodox faith right. first. You know, it's like, okay, if we can, we don't. We're, 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 Everything we're, Catholic without the papal authority. You know, right, right, exactly. You know, it's like, you know, you know, and so, you know, and so what ended up happening was um, there, you know, there are two uh, very dear friends who are my confirmation sponsors, uh, who are a key part of how I became Catholic. Um, uh, and this is kind of a funny story, but and we'll get into the ordinary liturgy probably on round two. But if I were to say, the Lord be with you, um, those of you who have been ordinary at liturgies, what, what's the response? Uh, and with thy spirit. And with thy spirit, and with thy spirit right? Oh. <laughs> and not and with your spirit, and with thy spirit. And so, you know, um, well, there's also the older Episcopal form, which says the same thing. So one of, my, one of the people live, meeting in my living room went to St. Martin of Tours uh, on a Sunday morning, sat behind... Uh, Ryan and Diana, yeah. who are my confirmation sponsors um, and members of my parish, um, and hear her answer, and with thy spirit, and they immediately go, oh, one of us! You know? <laughs> and so so and hear that answer, they turn around and talk to her, and she's not yet Catholic. Mm. But that's how the contact was made between so wait, me... Uh, Ryan and Diana were Catholic? Yes. They were already just members uh, of... But they were members of the Ordinary already. Okay. But oh, since there was okay. no Ordinary community, they were individually members of it, but attending uh, a typical care, a typical Catholic parish, because there was no ordinary parish. Right. So they heard her answer and think, "One of ours," you know. And so yeah. they talked. They talked to her, and eventually that community, that connection is made. And so I, I'm in the midst of this moment where this is all happening. Ryan and Diana, their library is just amazing. I mean, you know, they have a, they have a book for everything. You know how there's the Apple awesome. statement, there's an app for that? Yeah. If I had a theological question, because of Ryan and Diana, there was three books for that. <laughs> <laughs> Underlined with post-it notes, lawyer's tape kind of things, marking saying, read here, look there, now over to here. Wow. For every possible theological question That's I can have. Awesome. So never doubt the value of well-theologically educated laity. <laughs> True. The, 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 the laity is still the key order of the church, the one who gets the chief evangelists. Trust me, there's a power there. Don't lose it. Um, but, and so, the power of a well-ordered library. That's right, yes. Diana, <laughs> and Diana would greatly appreciate your statement there. <laughs> yes. yes, the power of a, well, a well-ordered library is magnificent. Um, and so... As I'm going through this and I'm struggling well with, I have to go, I mean, I determined I was not going to move further away from unity, but toward greater unity. Right. You know, and so, and as I'm struggling with this, um, you know, the Orthodox are getting ready for the, the great and holy synod they'd been planning for, four, for 15 years. And because of a jurisdictional dispute within two weeks before it, and this may be over, this is probably oversimplifying a bit because there's a lot of complications to this. Right. So I don't want to oversimplify, but basically what ended up happening was, a third of the Orthodox world couldn't meet because of a jurisdictional dispute, a 15-year plan meeting, they couldn't show up. 
And I'm reading the chapter in Pope Benedict's Called to Communion where he talks about the necessity and role of the office of Peter in the church for maintaining unity. And I'm sitting here looking at this going, it looks like you need Peter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he also, I mean, magnificently went through, I mean, he did this wonderful Germanly professorial style where he goes, I'm going to get to the common arguments you already know. I'm going to get to the, the Bible passages of this. But, you know, but let me show you this first. And in this just way that he lays it out so beautifully and elegantly, it's like, well, how did I miss that? You know, how did my whole life of knowing scripture, knowing this, you've heard this one, but you haven't, you don't know this one. How did I miss it? Is kind of one of the ways I kind of, reading that and seeing this. Um, there was also an ecumenical dialogue in Ravenna at one point where the Orthodox and the Catholics were to meet. And at one point, um, you know, the Catholics have been planning for it for a long time. They all sit down at a table and it's, it's disputes not between Catholicism and Orthodoxy that keep the meeting from happening, but disputes within Orthodoxy where they get up and they leave. And, you know, we're like, but we were planning for this and they left. I think, I think it's something people, and I would just kind and of so, say this, if, yeah. if somebody it feels that Orthodoxy is is kind of like Catholicism without the Pope, and, and that, that can be a very attractive option, mm -hmm. especially when we can historically see issues with Popes and, and the papacy and so yes, forth, absolutely. right? Yes, um, absolutely. That I, I think there is a little bit of an illusion at times of the unity of the Orthodox Church, and that is actually an illusion. Uh, there is is a fair amount of division. Mm -hmm. um, there's certain, it certainly can be very national in mm -hmm. certain areas, right. but it's kind of like, but. Even beyond that, um, isn't there currently some sort of schism between the Greek and Russian? I believe there is, going on, and a lot of that gets over. That is, is a lot of it is over Ukraine, even before the Ukraine war began. Correct. Yes, it goes back um, several years. And now. but one of the things to, to remember is, you know, that there's wonderful beauty there. Oh, absolutely! Wonderful, beautiful, wonderful beauty. A wonderful and 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 magnificent way. And it's of the, looking at the world. Um, the and, mystical prayer traditions. Right. The, yeah, I mean, and we have. Phenomenal. And the wonderful thing is, you actually can have all of it. We have the Eastern Catholic churches, which yes, you know, I mean, it's the church breathing with both lungs, east yes. and west, in full communion, but in a way that the east doesn't have to be the west. The west doesn't have to be the east. Right. And I think that's really critical that we've got that. To and breathe with both lungs. To breathe with both lungs. And I think we need that. And I don't want to be overly critical of, of, of you know, I mean, of orthodoxy. There's wonderful good there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, but part of it is also that it gets ties up in, in, in which patriarch is going to be in charge. Who am I in communion with? How am I? And, and one, of the, one of the tools they have to try and maintain unity is the only thing they really have is to say, well, I'm not in communion right now. You know, there's discussion. There's, there's other things. But there's not, there's not the office of Peter. Yeah. Right. And the office of Peter, I really do think, it, it, I became very deeply convinced, is absolutely necessary. And it's, it's the office of Peter. I mean, I'm part of a group that's, uh, that's named the Ordinary of the Chair of St. Peter. Yeah. Now, leave it to Catholics, not only to talk about the person, but to have a feast day for the chair. <laughs> Although the first time I right, stepped Because he in, has his own feast day. The cathedra. <laughs> the cathedra. But what is interesting is the first time I stepped into a church, and Father Beach swears he did not plan this, and I believe him, he didn't plan it. It was Monday was the day he was saying the noon mass that day. I'm going to have lunch with him. The first time I've been to a Catholic mass in years is on the feast of the chair of St. Peter. Mm, that's and I'm not like, an you've got to be kidding me. Because yeah. I'd already known the name that's of the ordinariate. Awesome. I'd already known what, her, what our title was. You know, and here I am in a Catholic church on the feast day of title of the diocese of wow. which I would eventually wow. become a member. It's beautiful. Um, and, but I mean, 
but remembering that the office is more than the person. Yes. And that's part of what that's part of what it is. You know, I mean, as I with Evan Catholic, it's embodied, it's given flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, with us, you know, one of the things when people ask what I had to unlearn when I became Catholic, I didn't have to unlearn a lot. I had to reshelve, speaking of the power of libraries. Mm-hmm. I had to take things from in theory or in the end or in an eschatological way or somehow, but I don't see it yet. I had to take these things and take things like unity and move it to lived and practiced. I had to take, you know, a lot of things about theology and say, not there and then, but here and now. Not kind of, sort of, maybe, but no, really it has to be held to. Mm, And so a lot of ways that scripture was strengthened. Your entire perception of reality was being called into question and reformed and, and strengthened strengthened it was right. fulfilled it was, it was, it was fulfilled, fulfilled. fulfilled. that's what i mean yeah. right right, right. <laughs> I mean, the, the not thing, negated but like no but i mean given added strength yeah. i mean and it really lived into and leaned into that's what the wonderful part of it was is that i wasn't losing anything that i wasn't losing what it meant to have been the good parts of an anglican you know but the faith my parents raised me in that my mother a line in one of our prayers is uh, it's called the prayer of humble access, and it's God mm. whose property is always to have mercy. Mm. That is the that is a statement that brought my mother to the church. She said, "I never heard that before." You know, and it brought her to the church, and I get to bring that my mother's faith, that part of the faith, that beautiful part of it, into my Catholic faith, and not only find it there, but enriched, strengthened, fulfilled. That for me is wonderful because I don't feel I left it. It's that. I brought it with me, but it, it, it became what it was meant to be. It bloomed. It bloomed. It, that's a wonderful way of phrasing it. And I realize we are getting close to time. I know that's not my job to watch it. No, but, you know, no. Well, normally we have three segments, maybe, but I think today I was going to say, maybe we could come back for a goodbye segment. Okay. Uh, why don't we take a yeah. quick break, and then we'll come sure. back for a farewell. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. All right. So we'll be right back in a moment. Hey, everyone. Here at Spirit Inspire, we want to serve our community by highlighting God's work in our parishes, schools, and apostolates. We hope to bring renewal and unity between all those in the body of Christ. If you would like a shout out in the next episode of Spirit Inspire, go to spiritinspire.com or email us at spiritinspire at gmail.com. Thanks and God bless. Well, welcome back to Spirit Inspire. Uh, We're coming to the close of our episode today. We've been talking with Father Jonathan Erdman. It's been a wonderful experience. Thanks for uh, being here, Father. And I'm just really struck with the uh, the richness of your story and we would like to have you back for a part two because we just cannot possibly get into so much into everything we'd like to talk about being, today. Being a Star Wars fan, I, I'm certainly willing to come back at least three <laughs> times. You know, you know, I mean, well, more than that, we can start debating. And uh, yeah, right, would, exactly. You know, could we release the episodes out of order? <laughs> I, w- I would avoid that. Okay. Okay. We won't do that. So this is going to be episode one, not episode four. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay. And you do know why they were released out of order, right? Oh no, this is a podcast. Why? Because in charge of planning, Yoda was. <laughs> yeah. I was going to try to do my Yoda voice. That concept's a little alien to me. Oh, oh, yeah. Why is this Why happening? All right, I'm spacing right, out, guys. Let's Thank go. You. All right, sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Pun off some of my thing, but no, I'd be, I would be glad to come back again. That would be wonderful. And uh, I would just like to say, too, before we actually close out, a uh, couple of things. So I met you the year before you became Catholic or during that process. Father Beach brought mm-hmm. you and your wife into my restaurant. That was our yes. first meeting, and oh, it's wow. been a lovely uh, 
It's been a wonderful relationship since then. So and we have spent we have spent many an anniversary in your restaurant. I think as well. most of them over the last several years, sure, yes. including one via delivery during COVID. Yeah, yes, that's, that's true. Awesome. That's or was true. that might have been a birthday? I'm not sure. But, but wonderfully done during COVID. Yeah, it still, it still was. We were still well fed. Thank you very much. And I would just also say, you know, I'm sure when you were younger, we've been talking a little bit about your life story. You would probably have never imagined you would end up being a Catholic priest. Nope. Um, so you not only am I grateful to you being a guest on the show, but over the years I've known you as a personal friend and your wisdom, your kindness, and the grace of your ordination has pulled me out of some dark and difficult spots. So I just wanna say, God bless your ministry and thank you for having heard that call because that worked out really, really well for me. And, and, and everything's really about me. So, you know, well, I'll echo that as well. Yeah, I mean, thank your, your ministry's so, been a great sound. Thank you. And I, I'm very excited that you're the pastor or the priest at St. Francis, which is where my brother and his wife attend. And uh, it's a great gift to have you. Glad to be there. And still, also, of course, uh, just because I, I feel like this should all be put together, priest of Our Lady and St. John. Catholic Church of the Ordinariate of the Personal Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter under the patronage of Our Lady of Walsingham. <laughs> Indeed, which meets at St. Martin of Tours at 3 yes. o'clock in the, yeah. which, in the afternoon. Which only helps us understand now why there has to be a part two and part three and part yes. four to exactly. your episode. And why exactly. they spend so much time together. It's Indeed. mostly just saying the words. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. Just saying the name. Is we I've been here for three years. I really <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so um, even though we will talk more about the ordinariate in part two, how mm -hmm. it came to be and so forth, uh, just mm -hmm. kind of opportunity for that shout out here. If, if anybody has not had the opportunity to attend an ordinariate mass, and you can obviously speak more about this, mm -hmm. it is a fully Catholic mass. You can, yes. you can fulfill your Sunday mass obligations. It's a beautiful liturgy. I've been mm -hmm. with my family many times when our schedule aligned with it. Um, and still, what uh, what's the schedule? The for? schedule for Our Lady and St. John is um, Sunday at 3 p.m. Okay. at St. Martin of Tours. Um, all Holy Days of Obligation will be there usually around 5 at okay. St. Martin of Tours. Um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we actually have a, uh, an even song uh, for St. Michael and All Angels. Okay. St. Michael and the Archangels, I should say, um, on the 29th of September. Um, but we also have um, weekday Masses at St. Francis of Assisi. On Bardstown Road, um, we have confessions at 4.15, evening prayer at 5, and then mass at 5.30. Um, and I, I think that's an important time, too, because it allows people who go to work to actually come to mass. Right. Um, because, I mean, honestly, even when I have to be at work only at like 8.15 or 8 o'clock to do, say, the 8.30 mass, it would be very hard for me to make a 7 o'clock and get there in time feeling comfortable. Yeah. And so a, a 5.30 mass, I feel, gives people a chance to kind of leave work, come home, and then go to dinner. Right. Um, and so, and what is the domain name you chose? Ah, yes. Um, again, <laughs> where can people find you? <laughs> www.ourladyandstjohn.org. So, Our Lady and Saint John.org. Excellent. And not Our Lady of Saint John. Our Lady and Saint John. Um, and Archbishop Kurtz had a wonderful way of uh, adding to our name, <laughs> as it needed to be longer, but I really loved it. Our Lady and St. John at the foot of the cross. Mm. Is the he would always add at the foot of the cross, which I dearly loved. Mm. Um, but that is where they met. And so our, our, our feast of title is Our Lady of Sorrows. And yeah. The, where, where, I, where they met, but where the two were put together yeah. as the church. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned that it, it, Our Lady and St. John, which, yes, but when I think of Our Lady titles, it's always Our Lady of something. Mm -hmm. And so it is an easy little habit to fall into to say Our Lady of St. John by mistake. Well, well, no one has said it here. Yeah. But it's Our Lady and St. John. And so if you 
want to find the web address. So that's why I bring it up. Perfect. And Fair then uh, you mentioned uh, God and Geek. Um, God and, and Geek meets on Tuesdays. Uh, again, like I said, my, my calculations are not exactly right here. Right. Uh, but two Tuesdays a month. I think it's first and third. Okay. Uh, beautiful. Perfect. But it could be second and fourth. Uh, look on Our Lady and St. John's website or Facebook page to find out more information. And as far as Spirit Inspire, again, you can follow us on Facebook as well. Please uh, not only follow, but like and subscribe and share on Facebook and on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Um, we hope that you are enjoying these episodes, but the more that you subscribe and share, that's a great opportunity for the algorithms that control YouTube and Google to actually make them share the gospel, as a number of Catholic speakers have pointed out. So, hey, let's do it. Uh, Father, thank you again. Would you mind uh, closing us with a blessing? I'd be glad to. The Lord be with you. And, and with your spirit. spirit. Let us pray. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. I forgot to say, and with thy spirit. I know, I was, I was so close as well. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thank you. We'll see you all next week on Spirit Inspired.